and welcome to the North Decatur Presbyterian Church Sermon Series. We're a PCUSA congregation in Decatur, Georgia. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to ndpc.org or just come by and visit. Here's this week's sermon. What a week. We have spent so much of this past week just waiting. I couldn't focus. I've been anxious. I've been cranky. Couldn't sleep very well. Kept on rolling over and looking for updates on my phone, looking for an answer that wasn't there. And even after this week, even after all this craziness has come to an end, after every vote is counted, after every last lawsuit is thrown out, we will still be waiting. Waiting, for example, to see whether we as a people might find a way to take care of each other and slow down the effects of the pandemic that is still spreading among us. There are so many things that are still undecided for which we are waiting. We'll be waiting long after this week of waiting passes. Now in our church, we have these lectionary texts, right? These these Bible passages that we read on a three-year cycle. And our lectionary right now finds us at the end of Matthew's gospel with a set of parables that Jesus teaches. And it just so happens that these parables all happen to be about, wait for it, yeah, about waiting. In today's reading, Jesus tells a story about 10 young women who are eager to celebrate their friend's wedding. When something gets in the way, they are forced to wait for much, much longer than they had hoped. What lesson is in that story for us? Let's listen to the story from Matthew's Gospel. I'll begin in chapter 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout. Look, here comes the groom. Come out to meet him. Then all the bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, no. There will not be enough oil for you and for us. You'd better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the groom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, 
The other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But the groom replied, Truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake. Keep awake. For you know neither the day nor the hour. That is the word of God. It is for you, God's people. We say thanks be to God. This parable has a few twists and turns. So let's look at it together piece by piece and go through it with one another. Jesus tells this story about a traditional first century Jewish wedding. The groom's first job is to go to the house of his future father-in-law, to the bride's house, where the groom will pay the father-in-law a price for his daughter's hand. When they reach an agreement, she will come back with him to his home and they will begin their celebration. Now, these 10 young women in the story are to be a part of the wedding procession, right? They're they're going to be part of the procession when the groom comes from his in-law's house. As these young women are waiting, something goes wrong, right? The groom is delayed. Now, five of these young women, we are told, brought extra oil for their lamps, and five of them did not. The story straight up tells us that those five who brought extra oil are wise. This is not exactly right. A better translation of the Greek word is prudent. These women are prudent. They planned well. And the five young women who didn't bring extra oil are called foolish. The Greek word is one from which we get the word moron. Yeah, it's a little harsh. But their failure to bring extra oil is thoughtless and careless and unnecessary. Now, the groom is taking forever. We don't know what holds him up, but as they wait, all ten of the women fall asleep. Finally, the groom arrives, and and suddenly everybody snaps up, and they begin their preparations for the wedding party. But only then do the ten women see the consequences of their preparations. The five who didn't bring extra oil don't have nearly enough. So they ask their sisters and their friends, can we borrow some of yours? Will you share with us? But the prudent women respond, there's just not enough for all of us. You'll have to go and get your own. So the five other women go off into the night searching, I suppose, for a 24-hour oil merchant. When they get back to the wedding party, the party is in full swing, but they find that the door is now locked. The women ask if they can be let in too, and the groom responds, Do I know you? We are left to assume that they are left out of the party altogether. The parable ends with an exhortation, a command, the lesson that we're supposed to take from it. Stay awake. Stay awake. Stay alert. Keep watch. For you do not know the day or the hour. So what is the story supposed to mean for us? What is it supposed to tell us about our waiting? 
First, I want to I want to name a few parts of this story that I find troubling. Number one is this idea that we get into the kingdom of God by being prudent, that that God will give rewards, even eternal rewards, for changing the oil in your car every 5,000 miles or refreshing the batteries in your smoke detector. We know that there is nothing, there is nothing that we do that gets us into the kingdom of God. We get in by grace. Everyone gets in only and ever by God's grace. Prudence, as good as it is, doesn't get you in. I also want you to see that the groom in this story is not Jesus. Jesus said, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened unto you. Entrance into God's kingdom is there for anyone who asks, anyone who knocks. Again, This story is not a parable about prudence being a a ticket into the kingdom of God, nor is it a story about how acting like a moron will keep you out, as satisfying as that may feel. Our God does not work that way. The story is also not an invitation to be like one of these mean girls, one of these girls who smugly refuses to share her oil You've probably been on both sides of situations just like this one. You know it never feels good to be the one who's done all the planning, all the sacrifice, the one who studied all night for the test, only to have some knucklehead friend of yours come up and beg you for the answers. But remember, we are always, 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 always to share what we have, to share it freely with our friends and even with our enemies. This story is not a story about what to do with your resources when people come to you for help. So what is the story? Well, we said at the beginning, it's a story about waiting. What do you do? How do you conduct yourself while you wait? In Matthew's community, there was a big debate about the return of the Messiah. Matthew writes 30 to 50 years after Jesus' death, and they were asking, would the Messiah come back? Some thought the Messiah would be back any day. But surely others had decided that the Messiah, after that long of a wait, was not coming back at all. Matthew sides, however, with those who have settled in and who continue to wait for the Messiah's return. Now, this is not a short-term kind of waiting. This is not the waiting that you do for the, the pizza delivery or waiting even a few agonizing days for election results to come in. This is a deeper kind of waiting. We're talking about how and even whether we wait for the things that we really want, the things that really matter, the things that we cannot know when they are coming, nor even if they are coming at all. Do you know the kind of things that I'm talking about? Have you ever waited for someone to say, I'm sorry? 
Because sometime, maybe a long time ago, they did something to hurt you. And they never owned up to it. And yet you still feel the hurt. If you have ever waited for a long overdue apology, you know what deep waiting is. And many of you, I know, are students of history. And you are fully aware that there are all kinds of injustices inflicted by people against other people in our past. Injustices whose implications still shape our present. You know our nation, America, was built on the backs and bodies of people with dark skin. And you know that the repercussions of that injustice continue in in our present day, in the way our quote-unquote justice system operates, and the way that wealth accrues or does not accrue, and the way that freedom is enjoyed or not enjoyed. You know as a nation that we refuse to acknowledge our past, let alone apologize for it, let alone attempt to seriously repair this grievous harm. And I know many of you wonder, will there ever be a day when we own up to the truth? That is a deep kind of waiting. And others of you, I know, have had to say goodbye to someone whom you love. When your beloved dies, it leaves a hole. It leaves an ache in your being. And even though time heals many wounds, the grief that we feel over losing our beloveds never really goes away. And so we wonder, is there a place when my time has come, is there a place to which I will go and when I am there will I see my beloved again? That also is a deep kind of waiting. Is there a future where our deepest wounds are healed? Is there a future in which the ugliest injustices of our past are made right? Is there a future in which we are united again with all those whom we have loved and lost. That is the kind of waiting that this story is about. Waiting for the day of the Lord. Waiting for a future day that can only and ever be in God's hands. Now, Some of us want that future, but we want it Right now, we're not willing to wait for it. It has to be now, and and we will never be able to bear the pain and the cognitive dissonance of the present. And some of us, I know, some of us will give up entirely on waiting, and we will say that that kind of future is a pipe dream. It's a fantasy, a fantasy that's never coming. We will stop waiting all together. 
And then there are others of us who, for whatever reason, are so enamored by this vision of the future, so delighted when we contemplate that vision of a future day, so intoxicated by this vision of the future. Some of us are so excited that one day we might also be a part of God's party that we plan on it. We plan our lives around it. And we wait for it. This planning, this planning that we do for God's future is not about logistics. It's not about how much oil exactly you need to save or how long exactly the wait will be. It's about expectation. Live, Jesus says, with the oil of expectation. Live with the belief that one day our wounds will be made whole. Live with the expectation that the arc of this world is long but bends in the end to justice. And live with the expectation that there will be a day when every wrong is made right and every tear wiped away from every crying eye. A day when all flesh, those present and those who have gone on before us will sit down together at the banquet feast of God. Live with that kind of expectation. The story seems to say that if you live with this expectation that you will be like one of these mean girls. But we know that that is the farthest thing from the truth. When you live with expectation of the future that God is bringing, when you live as though the future belongs to God, your life will be generous and kind. Your life will be virtuous and courageous because with such expectation always comes hope. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom waiting for the great party. But the bridegroom was late, awfully late. And so we wait. We wait together for election results, sure. But for wholeness, for beloved community, for the promise that all things will be reconciled. We can wait. We can wait together. Stay awake. Stay awake, my friends. For the party is worth waiting for.